Hi, this is Kirk Reed. Bear with me as we need a little compliance disclosure. In our practice, we give financial advice to our clients. We know their financial situation in detail before doing so. That's generally not the case with callers we speak with on the show. We can't give truly meaningful financial advice because we don't know the detailed financial situation of the caller. After all, we just met. Any suggestions we make to callers are generic in nature and meant to steer a caller in the right direction. Callers should check with their own financial professionals before implementing any suggestions that we may make. At times on this show, we talk about investments and investment performance. Investment returns are not guaranteed and past performance does not guarantee future results. Welcome back. Uh, You're listening to McNamara on Money, the South Shore's very own financial talk radio show. Uh, My name is Kirk Reed, uh, joined today by uh, business partner Justin McNamara, uh, who is technically not on the South Shore. You're in the Merrimack Valley. Is that the the technical geographical term for where you're located? That's right. Uh, Up in the valley. Up in the valley. Uh, So welcome. Uh, Good morning again, Justin. Good morning. Um, all right. So the, the topic today is what's hot and what's not. Uh, we're talking about, uh, you know, things that you might be hearing about in the news these days. Uh, we're trying to uh, cover them for you as far as, you know, things might sound uh, more, sometimes more dire than they, than they might actually be. And so we want to kind of chat about things like that and uh, yeah. give you some perspective and, and, and some background. Um, so, all right. So, I don't know, Justin, if you have a where you want yeah. to go next, or yeah, this is my this is my outline. So, I'll I'll, I'll uh, I think we should jump into the Monte Carlo one. Okay. I spent. Uh, I spent what, what's a, a what's a Monte Carlo? Yeah, I know. I bet you. I'll bet you most of our listeners know what a Monte Carlo is at this point. But anyway, let's, that let's is a car that Chevrolet used that, to make. That's right. It's a car. Yes. Yeah. That's a great. Many yeah, years. It was a great, great old car. Yeah. yeah. All right. All right. Moving on. That, that's I'm it. Not sure about the quality. Yeah. yeah. Um, it's pretty good. Anyway, yeah. so uh, Monte Carlo is the simulate. You know, when when uh, when us financial planner types, or or even if you're you know for for do it yourselfers, you'll you may be on a website and you'll be in a financial planning software. The Monte Carlo simulation is the basically the the end of a retirement plan where it tra- where it, we we uh, we try to forecast the odds of success. Right. So, you know, we we don't know what the future is going to hold. And so our industry has put together the Monte Carlo analysis, which essentially says, okay, here is what you have for money. We, we know all these inputs, but the key input that we don't have uh, in, in planning the future of the rest of your life is what investment returns are going to be, right? That's, that's a very big unknown. Uh, you know, a lot of the, you know, I think a lot of projections that we're making in retirement plans are, are variable, but none more variable than the market, right? What, what is a client going to spend? We probably have a, a relatively good ballpark on that. Uh, you know, what's your, what's their, you know, income going to be with regard to what their social security is. We probably can make a pretty good guess on that as well, uh, but we really don't know what's going to happen in the markets. And so what we've done in our industries, we've developed a tool called a Monte Carlo analysis, which essentially just runs many, many different simulations and it says, you know, in this number of minimized simulations, you were successful, right? So in 80% of them, you died while you still had money. That's great. Those are successes. In 20%, you ran out of money before you died. Those are failures, right? So that's, you know, the, the odds of success that come out of your, you know, your retirement planning software are generated by, a, you know, a, a, what's called a Monte Carlo analysis. Good so far? Yeah. And so... You know, our job, right, is to, you know, make a guess as to what we think, 
you know certain portfolios can earn, right. uh, and we and we make those we make those, you know, educated guesses based on history, um, right? And we tr- and we try to be conservative, right? So we try oh. to use you know the maybe the low end uh, of what we think is a reasonable range of expectations. Um, yes, and then yeah. we also and then we also have to plug in you know a standard deviation, right? Which is the which is that range of returns around that that average. Uh, right, and that yeah, we, yeah, yeah. We, should, we should spend some time on that, okay. right? Which I, and I know we have before, but let's you know just because it's the kind of the baseline of this discussion anyway, right? Is you you have different you know different investment portfolios have different you know average rates you know projected average rates of return, right? So if you have a, a stock market portfolio, it'll have a given level of volatility, which generally speaking will will calculate using historical volatility, right? If we if we take the S and P five hundred, we have lots and lots of history. On how volatile it's going to be, you know, month to month, year to year, decade to decade, um, and so you can, you know, you you need a volatility number for your investment, and then you know, and then you also have an average rate of return, right? Sort of a projected rate of return, which is a, a little bit more difficult. And as Kirk, you just mentioned, you know, where we we and I would say probably most of our industry try to use conservative guesses on what future rates of return are going to be. But essentially, when you're running these Monte Carlo analyses, you're, what you're doing is you're putting in an average rate of return, right? So let's just say if we used a, a stock market portfolio, you know, and then this client was going to hold stocks for the rest of their life, they might get a 7% average rate of return. And that's the number that we would plug into our, uh, into our, port, in, into our software. And then we'll say, oh, they're going to have a you know a, pre- a pretty volatile portfolio, so they're going to have a 19% standard deviation, which just means their which means their their rates of return. I don't, I don't think I'll do the details today, are going to be you know kind of relatively all over the place, right? You, you're going to have some great years in there where you're you know you're up uh, you're up 40%, and you're going to have some lousy years where you're down 30. Uh, you're just going to get a, a very very wide range of returns because you have a high standard deviation, so you have a more volatile portfolio. Mm-hmm. Okay, and so what you know the the software will then essentially just give you a randomized number. It's going to say, all right, here's my average return at seven. Here's my standard deviation, and it's just going to run you know as many as you'd like, two hundred and fifty, five hundred, a thousand different simulations where you get randomized returns within the bounds that you have set, right? You know, the, the one extreme is you have an, you know, a volatile stock market portfolio. It's very, very, you know, the, it's, it's, you know, the ups and downs are, uh, are pretty extreme and the long-term return is probably pretty good. You know, the other end of it is you're just in, a, you know, you're in, you're in CDs and you have a very, very, you know, you have no volatility because, you know, your investments are guaranteed, but you have a very low rate of return. And so, you know, in, in that case, your Monte Carlo would just spit out the same set of returns every, every time. Right. Mm-hmm. And what, you know, for for each individual client, what we're doing is we're putting in, a, you know, a you know whatever their individual portfolio is, right? Usually, it's you know not not an equity portfolio for a retiree. Usually, it's some kind of a balanced portfolio. It's a mixture of stocks and bonds. So, you have some decent rate of return expectation. Maybe it's five percent, and then you have you know a lower volatility number because you're not quite as aggressive. Okay. Yep. Do, do, have we set the stage enough here before <laughs> before I, I start critiquing it? I believe so. Okay, uh, and, and so again, and then and then we run our scenarios, and then we you know we get percentages, and obviously we're looking for high percentages. You know, ideally, there's no chance that you you won't be able to retire comfortably, and you get 100. percent But it doesn't always work out that way. 
you know, the, the, the thing that I've been reading, it's, it's a, a relatively recent critique. Uh, I'll, I will credit uh, the folks at, uh, at GMO. It's a Boston-based money manager. They do a lot of academic work over there. And essentially, they came out recently with a, with a critique of Monte Carlo. And it was, and basically, it was, it was saying that random, you know, randomized returns don't always give you the best look at what's actually going to happen, right? And and it's in the stock market is where it's. I think even most people kind of intuitively would know it, um, but let's just take the extreme example, right? If you're if you're invested in a portfolio at the end of 2007, right? And let's just say you, you're in an all stock portfolio, you, you, I, I forget what the return on 2008 was. It was, some, it was somewhere in like the negative 40 range, right? So we had, you know, we have the great recession, we, you know, the real estate's imploding, everything is, is uh, you know, is going to hell in a handbasket and your portfolio goes down by 40%. We'll just say that's the number in, in, in 2008. Yep. If you had run a, if you had run a, a Monte Carlo analysis at the end of 2007, it would have given you a completely randomized set of future returns, right? If you then go and run it into, at the end of 2008, you will again get a completely randomized set of future returns because that's how the that's how the softwares are set up. But for you know, for most people, you know, if you ask them after after 2008, even though people are panicking, right? It's a very very emotional time, and, and there's a lot of fear out there. If you said to the average person, "Hey, do you think that 2009 is going? You know, what what, what are the what, what do you think the market is going to do in 2009? Would you say it's going to be a completely random result? Would you say it's more likely to be up or more likely to be down?" Mm. I think almost everybody would say, "Well, hey, it's probably right more likely to be up." Are you comfortable with that? Am I? Am I, uh, I don't want to. I don't want to make assumptions that maybe most people don't agree with. You know, I think, I think, I think that would be the hope, or that would you know, if <laughs> yeah, or that would that would you know, if you were to look back through history, um, that would pro- that would most likely be the conclusion that you would come to. Yeah. Um, but I think if you were in that moment. <laughs> You might right. <laughs> you might not you might not have that same sentiment, uh, right? Because when things are down, you f- you feel like it's you know like you feel like it's never going to go go back up, right? Yeah, that, I mean that that's obviously yeah the emotional psychological part of being in it is, is right is is one thing, and of course that that colors your uh, you know colors your perception in the moment. But let's you know let's just say the, if you it, yeah if you didn't re- know what happened yeah. right yeah. and you were just looking back in the past at oh well you're watching this stock market chart go and it goes way 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 down i think most people you know and, and you hear this now even now all the time and you know you know i hear we hear it in client meetings oh yeah hey the, you know the market goes up the market goes down and that's you know the market goes down and the market comes back up it's just sort of the way it works right and that and it really is the way it works uh, and so, you know, the, the, the critique that sort of GMO put out there, you know, in, in a fairly recent paper was that you really should not expect randomized results in period, you know, in, in, in sort of extreme periods, right? But, you know, if the market is down in a given year, if you're, if you're in a stock market portfolio, because the, of the long-term, you know, sort of nature of the value of, of companies and corporations, you, if you get a down market, 
you, it's, you know, it's called mean reversion, right? So, you know, you, you generally revert to a long-term average and the market will go up above the long-term average and then it will go down below and up and, and up and down. But it, it generally, the long-term trend is generally in the same direction and you get volatility, you know, above and below it. And so at times when the market is particularly high, you should not be anticipating you know sort of you know uh, uh random returns going forward you should probably be anticipating lower than average rates of return right when the market is low your subsequent you know the you know if, if you have a terrible year like 2008 you should not expect that the next couple of years after you know after a downturn like that would be randomized right you would expect them to be higher um uh, you would expect that return to revert to the mean right, right. and so that's a yeah. long way of saying that you know when you're dealing with the stock market the uh, if you're if you're just running a Monte Carlo analysis, you're probably getting an, an overly negative result. Based, you know, if you're running it in a bear market, I exp- am I explaining this okay? This is kind of I, I have a tendency to get kind of down in the details of <laughs> no, I mean, of, uh, it, it, pretty it, weedy stuff here. But. It makes it makes sense. Okay, so I guess I guess my question now is. So what are they what are they recommending that you do um, yeah. as far as yeah. as far as changing outlook or or right. adjusting the Monte Carlo to to reflect that? Yeah, I mean at this point it's you know there's not you know if if you build a Monte Carlo that, that has a mean reversion in it, right? So you know where do you get periods of high returns are tend to be followed, you know, it's more likely that you get periods of low returns after high and vice versa unless you have a tool that does that. And, and again, most of the industry, and I mean, none of the industry that I'm aware of has that particular tool. It's just something that you have to keep in mind, right? I, I'll also, well, I'll, I'll get a little bit into the bond side as well, because uh, it, it, it kind of, it does inform maybe how you want to look at your portfolio, you know, construction and asset allocation. But it basically means that if, you know, when you're, if you, if you sat down with, you know, let's just say you sat down with Kirk last year in 2021, he ran your Monte Carlo and he said, oh, hey, everything looks fantastic. You're at a 95% rate of return, you know, a success rate. That's really great. You know, it doesn't mean that everything's hunky-dory forever, but, you know, that's a great sign. And, you know, I think we're, uh, you know, we're on the right track here, right? If you then come in in 2000, you know, June 2022 and Kirk runs your Monte Carlo and it says 75% success rate because you have, you know, you have a, you know, you have depressed investment values that's probably not an accurate uh it's probably not an accurate percentage assuming you are in you know in a stock market portfolio or or a primarily stock market portfolio right you're you're probably getting an, an artificially low number there because the reality is that you're probably not getting a rand you know the the the, the idea that the next couple of years after a big bear market are random is just is, is not all that you know it's not supported by any data at least not in the stock market yeah, um, yeah, I'll stop there. Yeah, before I jump to bonds, and if unless you have any questions. <laughs> no, I mean, yeah, no, that I mean, I I understand what you're saying. That makes sense, and you, you yeah, have to, I mean, the Monte Carlo is not it's not a perfect tool, right? I mean, but no. you know, it's not. It's it's just it's it's a tool that we that we have, and it's and and it is a good tool. Um, but yeah, this is certainly, um, yeah, certainly one of the I guess shortcomings that it, that it has is yeah. is in periods of extreme volatility it might uh, it might change the outlook you know more than more than maybe it should right yeah and, and this is a, this is the kind of stuff that you know we as advisors who have been doing this forever you know we, we sort of know this 
uh, and and we work, you know, in, in a lot of the the outcomes of this stuff, you know, or the the action steps of, you know, I, I read this sort of fancy paper, and it was at the end of it, it was it sort of said to us, oh, we're sort of already doing this stuff, right? And which I'll get more into in in a minute, but. Uh, it was nice to see it actually put down on paper. It was, you know, to, to nerd out for a little while and say, oh, yeah, this, you know, if, if you can actually back up the fact that, uh, you know, when when we have a lousy market, you know, we, we our clients are used to, you know, our planning clients are used to sitting down and running Monte Carlos. They want to see what it says. And you may get a, you know, you may get a fairly substantial change in, you know, in between one year and the next if you're if you have a, you know, a big market of movement one way or the other. And, you know, we're pretty good at saying, well, hey, this is, you know, we're, you know market's probably going to recover. And we, we didn't put it quite in this, you know, these terms, but it's the kind of thing that after you do it for a long enough time, you sort of know that, you know, volatility is a reality and, it, it you know, the market's up, the market's down. But it's nice to have it actually put down on paper and saying, hey, this is why it works. Yeah, what, uh, this, is, this is why you shouldn't worry quite as much as maybe your Monte Carlo says. And, and one other, you know, just one other thing to add is that, you know, for, for folks that we work with that are, you know, that are, if you're in the withdrawal, you know, stage of life, you know, yep. we have cash set aside, right, uh, for right. them. And so that's not, and that's that's hard to model in the Monte Carlo. Um, yep. And, but that, but that's something that, you know, should, uh, you know, provide some value, right? Because they're not, they're not selling, you know, they're not liquidating any of their stock investments, uh, you know, when things are temporarily down. Right, uh, and so that that should provide a little bit of a boost, but it's hard it's hard to really, uh, you know, put a quantitative value on that um, as as part of the Monte Carlo. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And I, I did just you know because there were there were two parts to this paper, and you know, and, and I'll get to so I, I did want to go to the bond side as well, right? So we, you know, we all talked we, we talk about the markets, uh, right? You know, generally speaking. Uh, we and you know the news in general are talking about the stock markets, but you know obviously there there are bond markets as well. And and if you're you know if you're uh, if you're near or in retirement, you more than likely have a mixture of stocks and bonds. I did just want to point out that you know wh when you run the research on the stock market, actually it's you know you you it's it's less volatile than random, right? You know it's they call it sort of the random walk theory. But when you know the stock market volatility. Is, is actually less volatile than random because it because things kind of go back to the mean, right? You know, you have a long-term average, and then you have the stock market bouncing around that long-term average, and so you know the the actual volatility that you experience is not random, right? Because one you know one year affects the next year, affects the next year, affects the next year. So, but it, but it actually does work in reverse. So for, for you know bonds are sort of a hot topic, and I was, the volatility. Yes, of, I actually sorry. I put I put bonds under my under a heading of of what's not hot. Uh, <laughs> no, not hot. Yeah, yeah. Cer uh, yeah, certainly not hot now. And I think you know the the um, the, G the folks at GMO did a great job of of ex you know sort of of modeling the fact that well 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 stocks are in the long run less volatile than random. Bonds are actually more volatile. Than you would expect, uh, you know, randomly, right? And, and just to, you know, to to kind of compare and contrast them, um, you know, mean reversion is just like sort of things go back to a long-term average. Well, in the bond world, if you just if you look at the interest rate side of it, right? Well, hey, you know, interest rates are up, interest rates are down. If you have a bond that you know starts out at a three percent interest rate. Uh, and interest rates, you know, all of a sudden are up like like they are over the past you know couple, you know past bunch of months here, and your bond, you know, and new bonds are five percent. Well, the, the the value of your bond is now down, 
right? Because your 3% bond is now no longer very attractive if new bonds are, are paying 5%. So you have to adjust the price down in order to be competitive if you wanted to sell your if you wanted to sell your bond, right? Right. Now, in the long run, the very long run, you, you know, you, you would assume sort of an average long-term interest rate, and you do get ups and downs, right? You know, the, the, the interest rate goes. You know, they go up, they go down, and over very, very long-term periods, you you know, you would probably get a mean reversion. So you you get like something back to average. But the problem is, generally speaking, those cycles are longer than than your bond holding period, right? If you had a ten-year bond, and if interest rate cycles normalize over a twenty-year period, it doesn't do you a whole heck of a lot of good, right? So that so that's just on the on the bond interest rate side. You know, there really isn't any mean reversion that will help you out necessarily because those because interest rate cycles just tend to be you know way way longer than a bond holding period, so they they don't tend to uh, help you out in any way. Okay. And then you know, in a, sorry, I'll stop there. Your question? No, I mean, <laughs> you're like um, a teacher today. Yeah, you are. Yeah. Well, you're doing a, you're doing a good job. You you are your father's son. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, but and, and just you know, just to sort of finalize it, because I want to try to get to there before the end here. Um, inflation, right? And, and the other the other uh, impact on on bond returns is inflation, and in current inflation, both impacts the price of your bond, right? Positive or negative. Recently, it's been negative, but it also impacts the future expectations of your returns, right? So, you, you what you have in the bond side is well, your your you know, I my inflation expectations just went from two to two percent to four percent. Well, that's going to push down the current value of my bonds. It's also it should also push down my future expectations of my returns, and so you get kind of this double whammy where where bonds end up being more volatile than than random stocks end up being less volatile than random, and you know the long term you know this this sort of ends up I, I hate ending up where you know with stuff that that you know that the old man's been preaching for all these years, but you end up with. Uh, more stock heavy portfolios tend to do better over long term retirement you know retirement projections just because of the way that the you know that the volatility works it's, it's actually if you really modeled it the way it should be you you see bonds being less attractive stocks being more attractive and that's sort of you know i think we've been preaching that for a, for a long time anyway and so it was really no surprise to us that that the that the math sort of came out there but it was again it was nice to see the math put down on paper and say oh yeah here's why this works you know yeah right, did i wrap up on time for once you, d- you did yeah that was uh <laughs> yep that was that was perfect all right so you're listening to mcnamara on money uh we're talking about what's hot and what's not uh, in the financial news uh these days my name is kirk reed uh joined by justin mcnamara uh we're gonna take a break and we'll be right back in a minute or two Hi, this is Alyssa Reed with McNamara Financial in Marshfield. Your investment strategy should largely be determined by the amount of time you have before needing the money. If you are aggressively invested, time is your friend when it comes to your portfolio recovering from this scary stock market. If you need your invested money soon, it should have been conservative to begin with. If you're not sure how your money is invested, I'd be happy to offer my opinion. 781-834-2010. All right, so I finish up? I, I guess I, you know... But before the before we get restarted, I think uh, you know my last uh, you know I, I went on my uh, pretty long diatribe about about investments and volatility. I think the short story was um, you know stock market portfolio. St- the stock market is is less volatile in the long run. The bond market's a little bit more volatile in the long run than than, than I think the common commonly held assumptions are. 
Uh, and uh, and so I, you know, that that does lead to if you if you put those two assumptions together and then sort of chart out where you know how you should be invested from a from a stock bond mixture. Again, all else being equal, right? If you, if you take the if you take um, you know kind of investor psychology out of it, you would get to more stock heavy portfolios. Uh, and in less bond heavy portfolios. So right, the, you know, the, the average recommendation, uh, again, at least based on these projections is, is probably that you know, most people should have a, a bit more in stocks than maybe is commonly recommended and a bit less in bonds if your goal is to, you know, is to get to and through retirement without running out of money. All right, just wanted to, I wanted to sum up that last, uh, that last half hour that we just put in there, Kirk. Thank you for that. Right. Um, something else something else that's hot and not what do you want well, to do you know just just to kind of um you know expand on that a little bit uh i just wanted to talk about bonds just a little bit further yeah, um yeah. you know the you know u.s u.s bonds um we could we could we could say currently you know not hot um yeah. you know yeah. uh, bonds have been have been down um and you know mostly that's a that's a function of the the rising interest rates right yeah. um yeah as the as the fed raises rates um you know the the older you know quote unquote older you know the existing bonds you know uh you know they look to you know they lose value right because because the new bonds coming out being issued are are being issued at higher rates um and so i but i want to talk about you know so the bond you know the bond market though so like if you own the entire bond market you know that's a that's a you know in our opinion that's a good way to do it right because it's diversified um you know across yeah. across lots of different types of bonds yeah a proxy uh, yeah right so yeah just to be clear for, for everyone else a proxy for the entire you can't really own the entire bond market like like the way with stocks but yes a proxy for the bond market via and you know a, a mutual fund or an etf yeah so you know i had like um i had a little thing about like so there's like the what they call the aggregate bond index yep um and let's see so Basically, so the index, so I, I have a little article here that I'm reading. Uh, it's from the, uh, thebalance.com. Yeah. Um, and, you know, so the, this, you know, the, it's the Bloomberg U.S. Aggregate Bond Index. Uh, and so the index, it measures the performance of investment-grade bonds in the United States. Uh, yep. It includes, it includes diff- you know, several different types of bonds, U.S. Treasuries, government-related bonds, corporate bonds, um, et cetera. Um, and you know, so you know, bonds are are down, right? They're down. They were down last year. Uh, they're down again this year. Um, but that's you know, just like stocks, you know, that's you know that 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 trend won't continue forever. Um, so I wanted to kind of go. With, so this this article basically is 1980 through 2021, right? So you know, 40 41 years of history yep. uh, of the of the bond, uh, the aggregate U.S. aggregate bond index, and you know, so I went through and I counted, you know, of those 41 years, you know, how many years have been negative? Um, yep. Do, do you want to make a guess? Oh, it's it's a it's a small number. Is it like th- two or three? Uh, four. Okay. Darn. All right. So there have been four years in the past forty-one years uh, yeah. where the bond, you know, the aggregate bond index has been negative. Now, you know, so you know, so that's a relatively small number. Number one. Yep. Um, and the other thing is that you know, when we have a negative year, it's it's nothing compared to the stock market, right? Right. Um, so I, just, you know, for number so nineteen ninety-four was a negative year. Yep. The the U.S. bond aggregate was down. Two point nine two percent. All right, so you know, down about three percent for the year. All right, so not here. Well, you know, not nobody likes a negative number, but if you were to compare that to the stock market, you know, not 
you know, nowhere near a bad, a bad year in the stock market. Uh, so that was 94. So the next one was 1999, down 0.82%, right? Cool. So down about a percent. Um, yep. And then let's see, 2013, down yep. 2.02%, right? Yeah. So to two. And then, and then last year, uh, 2021, down one and a half percent. Yeah. Right, so those are, those are the four years in the past, you know, forty years uh, that were negative. So, you know, I don't know what the average of those. It's probably about, you know, two percent, one and a half percent, maybe. Um, you know, negative. Um, but it's like we're coming for a big, a big what's not, what's not hot character. Well, so, <laughs> so, so this year, yeah. So let me see. So this year, where is it? Uh, let's see. One year. Well, yeah. So year to date. The, I'm, I'm, so right now I'm looking at the iShares Core U.S. Aggregate Bond ETF. Yep. Um, and so year to date, that that fund, which basically tracks you know this index that we're talking about, yep. uh, is down 8.66 percent. Yikes. Um, yep. So that's, that's a, a big, you know that's a that's a much bigger number than we've seen uh, you know historically. Yeah, um, it's, it's it's a real out, yeah it's a it's a real historical outlier yeah which is it's been uh, it's been lousy if you're if you're on the conservative side. Yep. Yeah, um, I guess so. One you know one point is that well that's only year to date right so we still have you know yep. a few more months to go so that number well it could go either direction but um, yeah. you know it, it it might it could get better it could get worse. Um, and but I, just, but I just told you it's probably not it's probably not uh, it's probably not likely to to revert at least based on the fact that you know one one down doesn't necessarily cause you know mean it's more likely for it to be up so right I guess that's reason for pessimism not optimism yeah but I, you know um, that's just one you know one yeah. one measure of, of the of yeah. bonds right I mean yeah. if you if you have if you have bonds in your portfolio I hope you hopefully you've got different you know a couple different types of bonds right. Uh, you know, a diversified portfolio. Um, you know, not all bonds react uh, the same way. Um, I don't know. Maybe and maybe you could touch on that as far as you know. Maybe some of the different different types of bonds. You know that that, that we hold. Uh, you know, maybe just generically or or sure. high level. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah. The, I mean, the bond market. In, you know, when 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 you hear about the bond market, it's just it's it's mostly driven by kind of uh, you know very very high quality. Uh, bonds, right? You know, U.S. government bonds. You know, high quality corporate bonds. That's that's where most of the bond market is. But there's lots of other little niches of the bond market that aren't nearly as substantial size wise. Uh, but you certainly can invest in those places, right? You have your you know your inflation protected bonds. Uh, you have your floating rate bonds, and all of those are you know will 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 react differently to different types of markets with interest rates and inflation. So you, you don't just need to oh, if you if you have the bond market, you're probably going to, you know, you're, you're, uh, I could probably tell you what your return would be, you know, given a certain set of, uh, of criteria, right? Oh, interest rates are up. If you're on the bond market index, it's probably going to be down, right? It's this you know, pretty easy to say, but there are lots of other niches of the bond market that you could be invested in. Uh, and you know, we, we are diversified across the bond market right now, just because it was our expectation, which again, proved to be right. And I think, we're certainly not the only ones who were who were assuming interest rates would rise, you know, as of you know a year or two ago. Right. Um, but yeah, so we are diversified throughout the bond market. Obviously, we have investment grade bonds, but we have lots of other types too, right? Right. Um, so I guess maybe I could you know hop over real quick to um, I wanted to talk about I bonds. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I bonds, I I'm I'm going to put under the category of what's hot. Yeah, <laughs> um, they're hot. And. Um, 
you know, because, you know, people, you know, I've gotten a couple of questions about them, um, you know, either, for, you know, from clients or just, you know, people, you know, <laughs> conversations that I've had. And perhaps, perhaps you have too, Justin. I don't know if, if anybody's asked you about them. Sure. Oh, yeah, of course. Um, yeah. So, yeah, let me let me find it here. So, so an I-bond, it's a, you know, it's, it's a bond that's, you know, it's issued by the U.S. government. Um, and it basically has uh, an inflationary component. Um, right. And so, in times of in times of high inflation, uh, they they pay more. Um, and right now, so right now, let's see. It looks like it, so. If you buy an I bond uh, between July first, twenty twenty two, and December thirty first, twenty twenty two, you're going to get a nine point six two percent on on that money that you put in there. Um, the so a couple things. That's eye popping. Yeah, right. So nine, that sounds pretty pretty awesome, right? Um, so the rate, though, so the the rate gets adjusted every six months, right? Um, so that rate is is good for six months, and then it's going to get adjusted, and you don't you don't know what it's going to be. Um, you know, if inflation is still high, then you know theoretically that that number could you know stay where it is, plus or minus, but but you don't know. Um, so a couple a couple more things about the I bonds. Um, you can only buy up to ten thousand uh, dollars per year. Yep. Um, and let's see. The you have to hold it also for a, for a certain period of time. Uh, let's see here. So let's say five five years, right? Or I mean, there's a, there's a penalty to you don't have to hold it. I think but there's a that, penalty to leave for up to five years, right? Something like that. That's right. You can you yeah. can you can cash them after one year. Yeah. Uh, but if you cash them before five years, uh, you lose the previous three months of interest. Um, okay. So that's that's the way they you know. So you have to be aware of that if you're gonna if you're gonna buy one. Yeah. Um, and basically, you can buy them. Uh, you can buy them directly. Um, uh, for, you know, from from the U.S. Treasury. Uh, you can buy them online. You must buy them directly from the U.S. Treasury. Yep. Yep. Okay. Yep. Yeah. Uh, so that's and. You can't buy them in a brokerage account, which is why you know you, you got to set up your treasury direct account. So they're they're not super, you know, it's, it's they're not super convenient relative to a lot of the banking system right now. But uh, yeah, for the for, if you're you know if you're interest if you're interested in that level of interest rate and you think inflation is going to stay high, uh, you know, it's probably worth a little a little bit of extra work on your end to go get a treasury direct account and get set up online and, and you know move your money over, etc. Yeah, and just you know, last thing. Um so you pay you pay federal income tax uh, on on the interest, yep. uh, but you do not pay uh, state tax uh, on the interest. Okay. Uh, so that's the that's the taxation of the I bond. So yeah, so we've been getting cool. that top uh, question quite a bit, um, and that's so that's how they work. Yeah. Uh, I have. Uh, I want to talk a bit, you know, a bit about Social Security with with inflation too. I mean, I don't know if you want to dovetail, if you want to just move right on to that because we're kind of in the uh, that's fine in the inflationary era era here. Um, area, I mean, not era. Uh, anyway, so you know, I just let me get back to my uh, back to my outline here. So, a lot of the time when we're you know. I shouldn't say a lot. Every time we do retirement planning, we're trying to figure out what the best time for someone to take uh, Social Security is, right? It's a very common question. We, you know, you hear about it a lot in the news. We certainly get the question a lot uh, and, and have to make sort of long-term Social Security plans with regards to when you take it. And so I just wanted to go through, you know, I think our, our general recommendation is, you, you know, is if you're planning on longevity and 
you probably want to wait on social security, right? That's like, or at least that, I guess that's what, that's what software calculators will always spit out, right? Cause we're always just, you know, as a, as planners, we're trying to be on the conservative side. So we're, so we generally tell folks, Oh, you're going to live for, you're going to live a long time. And we have to plan to kind of above normal life expectancy. And so, you know, from there it flows that, well, because if you wait on taking social security until age 70, the break even is like in your, you know, your early 80s. And if you're planning to 90, the calculators are, are virtually always spitting out, hey, you should, you know, you should take Social Security later, right? So, you know, don't take it at 62, take it at 70 because you'll be better off, uh, et cetera, et cetera. I think we've, we've explained that often enough uh, and people probably get that. And so I did, but I did just want to, you know, the, the, inf- the recent inflation that we've seen is, I, I think it's a, it kind of reinforces that recommendation. Are you comfortable with that? I don't want to. I don't want to speak for you here, but um, are, are you? Well, would you look at recent inflation and say, "Oh, yes, that's a that's a reason," you know, for for us to either continue recommending long, you know, uh, waiting on Social Security? I think um, I, I still I still kind of default to you know running it in somebody's you know plan, right? Yeah. You know, we yeah. you know, we have that you know sophisticated oh, yeah. software that we use to to run a yeah. plan. And I think you know it. It's you know it's just it's one piece of the of the puzzle, right? Um, and I and it's certainly an important piece uh, as we as we've stated. Um, and I think, you know, so I think I think you have to you still have to take a look at everything involved in somebody's plan, right? Before you know al- maybe altering your recommendation about about social security. Um, Absolutely, yeah. I think yeah. I mean, right. So there's sort of a of a, a you know a, a generic set of recommendations, as in these, this is what's appropriate for you know you know most people, quote unquote. But obviously, every situation is different. So so of of course, you know, you shouldn't just say, oh well, they were right. Take Social Security at seventy. You should run your own individual projections. But you know, for me, and maybe 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 it's better if I just go through um, if I just go through the numbers here, right? So I just I took you know I took a couple just briefly. And, you know, if, if they, let's say we have a couple who, who both collect the maximum in Social Security, which, you know, for right now, if you're a 60, you know, if, the maximum in Social Security is about $3,400 a month, right? So if you've been over the Social Security maximum for, you know, for 35 of your, of your years that go into the Social Security calculation, the most you can get right now at your normal retirement age is about $3,400 per month, right? So if, if I assume a 60-year-old couple and they're they're on target for that social security maximum of about thirty four hundred dollars a month. At age sixty seven, they're going to be collecting about eighty two thousand dollars a year, right? That's what they just take it at sixty seven, which is their full retirement age. Okay. If okay. instead they took it at sixty two, they're come you know they, they'd be at twenty uh, twenty four hundred dollars a month, so significantly less. Uh, and they'd be at about fifty-seven thousand dollars per year. At, okay, those are those are future dollars when they when they go to collect. Future dollars. That's right. 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 Uh, which, which will which will subsequently you know, but which we're sort of speaking in today's dollars because right. the inflation you know they're, they're they're subsequently inflated as we go along here. Um, but so if they took it at sixty-two, their benefit is sixty fifty-seven thousand dollars. Whereas if they waited until age seventy, their benefit is a whopping one hundred and two thousand dollars per year, right? So they're both collecting forty-two hundred dollars per month, and uh, that that equals out to just over a hundred grand, right? So the delta between sixty-two 
and age 70 is about in in this case again this is an extreme couple because they're they're both collecting the max the delta is $45,000 per year the difference between those two numbers right so you know in in would we would we call that significant <laughs> yes yes we would yes, yeah, we would um and so what you have is, you know, that's that's obviously a major, right? And, and when you put that in the context of, all right, well, well, you could take it, you know, where's that $45,000 coming from? If you took it early and you needed to spend that 45 grand, you'd have to take it out of an investment portfolio, right? So that's a big draw on an investment portfolio. And, and again, maybe it works because maybe your individual situation is such that you can satisfy that withdrawal and, and you know, you, you run your Monte Carlos, uh, and it says everything is hunky dory if you take it at 62. So, you know, by all means, take it. Um, but it doesn't always work that way because those numbers are so large and the increase in Social Security is so substantial um, that you, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a big jump between the 62 and the 70, especially if you're on the higher end of the income, sp- uh, income scale. Um, and, but the, the real thing that I wanted to point out is if, if you had taken it at 62, let's say this, this, com- this, this couple had taken it at 62, their benefit of $57,000 a year, $57,000 a year is going to be inflated at the, you know, at the end of this year, we're probably going to have a very high inflation year. Um, and let's just say we'll, we'll use a 10% inflation number. That that inflation is going to add a, a, a benefit of fifty of $5,700 to their nest egg, right? So the inflation adjustment for this couple who's making 57 a year it's going to be up by $5,700 for the next year, right? That's going to be their jump. Whereas the the folks who waited until age 70, their benefits $102,000, they're going to get $10,000 in their adjustment, right? So, I mean, those are, it's, it's, it's a big difference in the amount that you get, but also when you start tacking inflation onto it, you know, this couple number two, if they, you know, couple wait until we're 70 gets an additional 10 grand in income, because we have inflation, um, you know, significant inflation. Whereas, you know, couple numbers, you know, age sixty-two couple uh, is only, again, air quotes, only fifty-seven hundred dollars. And I just wanted to sort of point that. I, I think that, uh, you know, when, when you're when you're running through those, you know, hey, when do I take social securities? Uh, we tend to, I think, when, all else being equal, we tend to try to push at least at least one member of a couple out to try to lock in that inflation because if you have higher than expected inflation for long periods of time and it's and you know you you put it onto that higher base it just makes things a lot easier right you're you know you're getting bigger jumps you're having to draw less on your portfolio at what at what might be a lousy time right if you have inflation oftentimes it affects your investment portfolio portfolio might be down and now you have to take out even more money because you know you don't have that high social security benefit that's that's sort of offsetting your future withdrawals. Yeah, Am I saying that all right. Yeah, so it, and I think and you you kind of you kind of hit on this, but yeah, um, like in your example, you know both both couple you know both parties of the couple uh, you know had the max, but right. you know, maybe for a couple where there is one that's maybe one has the max and one is you know a lesser value. Um, if they were thinking about you know if we were kind of running some scenarios and talking about you know when to collect. Um, you know, we would certainly suggest that, um, you know, if, if somebody's going to wait, it should be the higher earner, right? Uh, the one that with the one right. with the bigger, the bigger, um, 
benefit because that you know that's the one that you want to try to lock in um, for yes. you know for both for both while they're both alive and also for the survivor. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was I was just using a yeah an extreme example just to make the just to make the numbers uh, make the numbers pop for everybody. But yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Um, so the ten the ten percent number that you were using that was just yeah it's just kind of is that is that well yeah they, they readjusted I think at the end of the year I don't I forget when they make the adjustment calculation maybe I think I think toward the end of the year is when they when they sort of start to forecast it but yeah that was just a guess I'm not saying that it will be ten percent yeah this this next adjustment will be that but this uh, certainly it's there's a there's a possibility that it's in that ballpark just based on what we've seen here for uh for inflation over the past you know at least you know here here in 2022 it's been it's been a lot of inflation so there's a, a good chance that you'll get a significant bump uh in your social security benefit if you're collecting yeah this year it was uh looks like it was about six percent is what yeah is what people yeah. got on uh, for 2022 as a result of what happened in 2021 yeah those are non non-trivial sums yeah yeah, I mean, um, if you go back though, and you look over like a long, you know, if you go back like twenty years, you know, or plus or minus, um, I think the average, you know, the average uh, growth on social security is about two percent. Um, you know, yep. so what, you know, what we what we saw this year, and uh, I mean, yeah, from this past year, and, and maybe going into next year, are are on the high side. Um, yep, that's, yep. A, that's another one of the, it's one of those tough things. It's also, it's hard to model, right? Um, right. You know, we have yeah. to, we have to pick a number, kind of an average rate of, uh, growth, uh, when we do a plan for somebody and, you know, maybe, you know, maybe at some point, uh, we start, um, you know, bumping that number up. Um, but you know, is this inflation, you know, how long does this, you know, last, right? Um, right. Uh, our hope, our hope is that, uh, not, not too much longer, but, but, but we don't know. And that's why, you know, when we, when we do a model, we have to kind of adjust things, um, to represent, you know, current situations, but also trying to, to try to level them out, uh, as best we can, um, you know, over, 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 you know, many years. Okay. All right. So Should we try to get another one in here before we before we get a call it quits. How many minutes do we have there? We got, we got about four to, yeah, four minutes plus or minus. Okay. Uh, I could do let's see, would that be a must be a quick one. Currency, US dollar. The US dollar's hot. All right. Let's do <laughs> yeah, it. I just wanna just just briefly um I, geez, this is maybe isn't a four-minute conversation, but you know, I, I was, you know, a lot of folks may have heard in the news that you know the the dollar reached parity with the euro recently, right? So, so essentially, what happens is, uh, you know, currencies, uh, people are you know trading currencies, and uh, you know the the investors of the world are always looking for kind of the highest rate of return, and as the as the uh, as the U.S. has raised interest rates. Um, dollars have become more attractive because you get paid more interest over here in the United States than you do in other parts of the world. And so what happens is money starts to flow in, uh, in into dollars and flow out of other currencies. And so we've had like a strong dollar as, as the Fed's been raising rates, as interest rates have been going up, the dollar has been strengthening and it's sort of made, made news because generally speaking, um, the dollar and the euro are, are not uh, you know, are not even, you know, usually it takes more dollars to buy one euro, right. um, more, more than a dollar to buy one euro. And, and we sort of famously hit parity not, not too long ago. Um, I just, you know, that, that certainly affects investment rates of return. I thought it was, it was sort of interesting if you, if you take a look at, you know, kind of the, the, um, the international stock markets, uh, right now, and I have their, I have the rates of return here. Let's see. Um, so yeah, like the, the international market, right? If you if you look at the IFA and you and you didn't 
you know, and you didn't look at it in terms of the dollar, it's only down about 7% for the year, right? So again, that's that's not not terribly bad, right? You know, by, by way of comparison, uh, at least up until like yesterday, the S&P 500 was down in the 13% range. So, you know, if you, if you look at it, in like in real terms, if an investor in Europe and their in in international stocks, their international fund is down about seven percent, um, but in, in our markets are down about thirteen. But because there's an adjustment, right? Because dollars are now more expensive, that affects it. That effectively hurts the rates of return on your international investments. And so what you get is, you know, now it's you know the the international markets in dollar terms are down about 16%, right? Wow, so okay. so even though like the stocks have done better because you have to change the currency to own it from here in the United States, it, it's, you know, like it's your performance is worse. And so I don't, it, that's just the kind of thing that those, those longer term, those tend to even out. Uh, but I did think it was, uh, you know, just sort of noteworthy that, you know, the, you know, if you, if you look in, in their terms, international stocks have done relatively well compared to here in the U.S. However, when you adjust for being a U.S. investor, uh, if you didn't hedge your currency, you're actually doing, you know, pretty substantially worse. All right, Justin, well, you probably can't hear it, but the music is playing. Uh, I can hear it a little bit. Wait, uh, so, so yeah, maybe, so maybe a good time to go to Europe, right? If you're thinking about going to Europe. Exactly, uh, yeah. That was it. What's hot? Not, European vacation. Go to, go, go, go to Europe and uh, give more for your money. Well, or the same for your money. Uh, all right, so you've been listening to McNamara on Monday. Kirk Reed, Justin McNamara, uh, thanks for joining us today. Uh, What's hot and what's not in the markets. Uh, Have a great weekend. 